get a treat today. Oh man, I'll tell you what, I love, I love when Corey teaches. He brings such fire, such revelation. Like every time he teaches, I fall in love with Jesus again. And I'm just so thankful that he has um, planted himself in our body for this season of his life. And I'm very thankful for him. So you guys are in for a real treat. So here you go, Corey Wasson. There you go. Good morning, good morning. Go ahead and stand with me. You're like, man, I just stood for 45 minutes. Are you kidding me? All right, now we're going to air squat and hold it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so now you're like, all right, cool, I'll stand. I'll stand. <laughs> Don't make me air squat. All right, I want you to put your hands out in front of you. Close your eyes for a second. We're just going to wait on the Lord. You can already feel it. This morning's been a little gentle. It's been a little slower. It's been a little more intimate. I think it's supposed to be, and so I don't want to. I don't want to move beyond that. I actually think the Lord really wants to meet us in tenderness this morning. Um, that's a little different for me. I like. I like fire. I like to scream. I don't know why I like to scream. I like to scream. I like high intensity, but I feel like this morning the Lord wants to meet us in gentleness and in kindness. That He wants to draw near to our hearts. He actually wants to meet us there. Let's just wait for a moment. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, I am asking that you right now would begin to move across this room. That every person right where they are would begin to sense you. If they haven't already during worship, if they haven't already during prayer, if they haven't already during communion, that, that right now, that they would have a tangible sense of your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this room. Just out a whisper right where you are. Just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We wait on you, Holy Spirit. Just come. Fill this room. Surround each person right now. Just like in Acts 2, what Aaron was preaching about, let your spirit blow like a wind through this room, back and forth. Minister to us this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Now I want you to put your hand on your heart. And I want, I want to ask for a miracle this morning. I know we contend for signs and wonders and miracles, and we've been talking about prophecy and we've been talking about healing and we've been talking about the the different gifts of the spirit and I love every single one of them but actually one of the greatest gifts the Lord could give you is a tender heart it's one of the hardest things to keep as a Christian it's what Jesus said to John the Baptist towards the end of his life blessed is the one who does not get offended at me Meaning, blessed is the one who can go on the journey with Jesus and not have their heart get hard, but you actually stay soft and open and tender and honest and vulnerable and real before him, and you don't let circumstances and disappointments grab your heart and shut it down. It's the miracle of a tender heart. This is one of the great ambitions of my life. I want to see signs and wonders and miracles. I have seen signs and wonders and miracles, but I want to be 80 in a rocking chair on my porch, and if my wife looks at me and mentions 
the name of Jesus, I want tears to come to my eyes. I want to love him and care about him and feel deeply towards him and have affections for him to the very end of my days. I want to raise the dead. I want to see the nations turned, but I want to be 80 on my porch, in my chair, too feeble to get up, and the name of Jesus moves me to tears still because I didn't let my heart get hard. That is the great vision of my life, to die, to breathe my last breath, and to be moved into his presence and to look into the eyes of my best friend the one that I walked with day by day intimately for my whole life, the one that I know deeply and to get to spend eternity with him. That's the great glory. That's the vision is to know him and to love him and to be close to him. Every other thing is bonus. Every other thing is the cherry on top. And so I want you to put your hand on your heart. I want you to ask for a miracle right now. Say, Jesus, give me a tender heart. Jesus, Open my heart. Take away the hardness. Meet me this morning. Amen. All right, you can get seated. Amen. Does anyone else want to have a tender heart? Tender hearted. So this morning's going to be a little bit different. You can already feel it. Um, I'm telling stories this morning. So typically... I, I would have notes upon notes upon notes, and I would teach from those notes, and I love to teach. I love the Bible. I wish that we could just hang out for the next, like, 10 hours and just study the Bible together. But this morning, I actually feel like it's supposed to be a little bit different. I don't have notes upon notes upon notes, which actually makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. But I feel like the Lord said this time, no notes, just stories. So I feel like this is a morning for stories, and I feel like I have a few different stories the Lord's laid on my heart to share with you. And I feel like in the midst of me telling stories, the Spirit is going to move. And He's going to begin to take from my stories, and I think He's going to penetrate into some of your stories. And that we're going to find that there's some common ground, that there's some connection between us. That maybe some of the things that I've walked through, parts of my testimony, are maybe also parts of your testimony. And I think the Lord's going to stir us up this morning. I might get to preaching at some point, but at the beginning, we're just going to start with some story time. You guys okay with stories? Anyone still like a good old story? Okay, awesome. It says this in Revelation that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. There's a connection between the spirit of prophecy, what we've been talking about the past few weeks, and the testimony of Jesus. That when we get up and when we tell stories about what Jesus has done, it actually stirs the Holy Spirit to move the prophetic in the room. There's something that happens when we tell our stories, there's something that happens when we testify. We need to tell our stories. You need to tell your stories about Jesus. And what you will find is that when you do, that his spirit will begin to move where you are. Have you guys ever experienced that before? If you haven't before, maybe we will today, okay? So let me tell you my story. So my story begins right here in Dayton, Ohio. Anyone else from Dayton, Ohio? Let's go. A lot of you. Actually, I'm surprised there's that few hands. That's only like 50% of the room, right? So I'm here from Dayton, Ohio, born and raised, local boy, okay? And uh, my story starts, like all of your stories, with my parents. And I, I want to tell you a little bit about my family. So, um, so my mom comes from a pretty wild family. I bet some of you have wild families. Um, 
my mom comes from a pretty wild family, a pretty broken family. Um, right here from the area, Daytonians live downtown, spread out across the area. And uh, I grew up hearing family stories, really broken family stories, really messed up family stories. I don't know if you guys have any of those. I have, uh, just to give some highlights, I have a, a, a great uncle that got gunned down on a porch down in Dayton. He got caught up in some stuff that he shouldn't got caught up in, and a car drove by and lit him up, bullet holes all over his body, fell to the ground dead, leaving his kids orphaned, um, right in downtown Dayton. That's a part of my story. It was probably on the news however many years ago. I got people that have been to jail, um, got people that are alcoholics, got people that are drug addicts, got people that have abused one another, hurt one another, betrayed one another, divorce left and right and on every side. feels like most people couldn't find it in themselves to stay together. Right, so I've got this side of my family that's, that's pretty broken. My mom grew up in Huber Heights. Anyone from Huber Heights? Huber Heights folk in here? Y'all like, no, we're not from Huber Heights. We're from Tip City. Like, let's go. All right. There's like two of you. Cool. All right. My family comes from Huber Heights too. Actually, random fact, my, my grandfather was, uh, on another side, was the first mayor of Huber Heights, which is pretty cool. I found that out a couple years ago. So, so we come from Huber Heights. My mom grew up in Wayne High School. Again, local, normal, just like you, from the area, just like the people who are in our city. And uh, my mom's life was broken. And again, I don't want to expose my mom, or I don't want to tell all of her stories. But man, she grew up in this broken, immediate family, broken, extended family, darkness on all sides. Her parents ended up splitting up for a variety of different reasons. And again, I don't want to unveil all the details of their story. Um, and my mom found herself in a really, really dark place in high school. And while she was in high school, she had a friend who invited her to join the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Anyone ever heard of FCA? Okay, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so she ends up going to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, probably just because her friends wanted her to go to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, you know, she was a part of sports, and so she ended up in that. And at some point, someone who honestly, if we were looking in the grand scheme of things, someone who probably doesn't seem very important. I don't know their name the person that preached the gospel to her. I don't know who they are. There's probably no books written about them. They're nameless. They're face, faith, faceless. But it was a believer that lived in Huber Heights, Ohio, who decided to be a part of the Fellowship Christian Athletes at Wayne High School, got up one day and preached the gospel. And my mom's life was seized by Jesus. And her entire story was twisted from the direction that was going in a completely alternative direction. That my mom's life began to change and transform and be different than the life and the narrative and the story of every other person that was in her immediate and extended family about as far as you could go. Her life just whipped around and started to go in a different direction because some nameless, faceless believer shared the gospel. And I want you to feel that this morning. We've been talking about go. We're in this series about go. And sometimes we think that go means doing epic things like going on mission trips or going to other nations. And it is about missions trips. And it is about going to other nations. I 
am a missionary, want to be a missionary, have been a missionary. We served as missionaries for years and years and years. But I want to say this. It's not about the epic moments where the gospel is powerful. Actually, any moment where the gospel is shared is an epic moment. Any moment where the gospel is uplifted and given to normal people in normal settings, it's powerful. It's what Paul said, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why are you not ashamed of the gospel, Paul? Why are you not embarrassed by the gospel? Why do you not hesitate to preach the gospel and to share the gospel over and over and over again? He says, because it is the power of God. Pause. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. Say that with me. The gospel is the power of God. Do you feel that? The gospel is the power of God. Here's why. So the actual power, where the most powerful thing in history happened was at the cross. Where Jesus was tortured for our sins. He died on our behalf. He was buried in our grave, went down to the depths where we should have gone. He was raised up by the Spirit of God. It was lifted to the highest place. That moment in history is the most powerful moment in history. But the thing is, is we are not in that moment any longer. Right? So the question is, is how does the power of that moment that moment where Jesus was stretched out on a cross with his body ripped apart, with his blood spilling out, that infinitely powerful moment that we will sing about and celebrate for all of eternity, the moment that angels fall on their faces because of, how does that moment get through time and space to the people that it was meant to rescue? Here's how. Through the message of the gospel. That powerful moment in history has been tucked inside of the message of the gospel. I want you to imagine that weekend, Easter weekend, being wrapped up in a present, and inside that present is a nuclear bomb. That's the message of the gospel. And when you preach the gospel, when you teach the gospel, when you share the gospel, when you tell your story— you are unwrapping that weekend in history. And everything miraculous and wonderful and powerful and life-changing that happened over the course of that weekend, when you share your story, you're opening it up before another for that nuclear bomb of salvation to go off in their life and to transform everything. So once upon a time in Huber Heights, Ohio, a nameless, faceless man or woman, I don't even know their gender, got up in front of a group of teenagers called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he opened the package of the gospel. And my mom took the nuclear bomb of the salvation of Jesus Christ, and it detonated in her life, and she has never been the same since then. Can you feel that for a moment? I want to say this. We can never graduate from the glory of the gospel. Okay? The gospel 
is not the kindergarten of Christianity. The gospel is the doctrine upon doctrine upon doctrine. I tell you, you will marvel a billion years from now at the glory of the gospel. It says that in eternity that the Lord is going to unfurl his unsearchable riches. A billion years from now, you will be surprised by the gospel. A million years from now, you will look back upon the cross in the age to come, and you will be undone by what Jesus did all over again. And it will inspire you to bow down and worship and to cast your crowns at his feet again and again and again and again because of the glory of what he's done. Friends, we cannot graduate from the gospel. It is the blazing center of the Christian life. The gospel is the nucleus around which every other thing finds its gravity. If you don't understand the gospel, then you're not going to understand anything from the first page to the last page of the scripture. It is the pinnacle. It is the climax. It is the glory. It's the gospel. We cannot graduate from the gospel. We cannot graduate from the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It can never become cliche. It can never become normal. It can never become, oh, I've heard a thousand sermons on John 3.16. I'm not that interested in another one. I've heard that song before. No, no, no. We have to come again and again and again to Jesus who can change lives through the gospel. The power of God unto salvation, which means being saved from our sins, which means being saved from an eternity separated from God, which means being saved from his wrath, which should fall upon us, which means being saved from sin and from sickness, which means all of these things. The power of God for salvation is in the gospel. That's where it's at. And when we want that power to explode in our lives and change us and transform us, we have to dive deeper into the gospel. We have to understand it at a greater level of depth, and then it will transform our lives to a greater measure. You guys with me so far this morning? You guys, anyone love the gospel? Okay, we're, we're getting there. That was like a three out of ten. I'm hoping we'll be more stoked on the gospel by the time we get there. So my mom's life begins to go in a completely different Direction. She begins to go to church. Um, she struggles just like any new believer. She goes to college. There's some ups. There's some downs. There's some good decisions. There's some bad decisions. But her life begins to go on a completely different trajectory. Whereas before it was going down, 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 her life begins to go up, up, up. Haven't you guys noticed that? That even your bad days in Christ are a lot of times better than your best days before you knew Jesus? Right? Even when you struggle, and even when you fail, and even when you screw up, and even when you fall down, and even when it's really hard, your worst days in Christ are superior to the best days that you had before you knew him. Right? And her life began to go on this new trajectory. Well, she fell in love. She got married to a young man. who's my dad. Um, and, and their first few years of marriage actually had quite a few difficulties. And again, I don't want to expose their story. I don't want to tell every detail of their story. Um, but they didn't end up staying together. Um, their marriage ended up ending when I was three years old. They separated when I was two. They got divorced when I was three. And then both of them got separately mar remarried by the time that I was five. Um, so I kind of grew up with split custody 
bouncing back and forth between these two different homes. Um, I love my parents on both sides. I love my siblings on both sides. I have a ton of siblings. I don't know if you guys know that about me. I have five sisters and a brother. So I got a big family. Um, so I've got, and I'm, they're kind of split across those both sides. But so I grew up in this home that's also a little bit, a little bit broken. I grew up in a home that's also a little bit unstable, bouncing back and forth, trying to figure out life. Two very different homes, two very different dynamics, uh, very different values, very different culture. Um, and, I, and I would spend my life kind of bouncing, like ping-ponging back and forth between the two of these. Uh, different ideas about what's important. Different ideas about how you should live. Different sense of ethics and morality. Different political views. Um, different news stations that were watched whenever you would turn on the television at each house, right? So I'm getting two very, very, very different sets of messaging from my parents and from my siblings and from my home dynamic. And that can be pretty confusing as a kid. And I found there was a time in my life where I got into junior high. And uh, junior high is a really great time to have an identity crisis. Most people do it. It's like you turn 13 and your body freaks out. You're just like, ah, I don't know who I am anymore. Even if you have a great home, it's just like a good time to freak out. Um, everyone's feeling it. And, and everyone, I don't know what it is about junior high. You just feel awkward when you're a junior higher. You look awkward as well. I think the junior hires are not in the room, so I'm just going to say it. We all know, but no one tell them. But you, you look awkward when you're a junior hire. You don't look like a kid, and you don't look like a teenager. You, you're like in the in-between as a junior hire, and you feel it. And if you've ever walked down the hallways of a junior high, you can feel that everyone is feeling it. Everyone is like so insecure and is like walking around and like trying to be cool, but nobody actually thinks they're cool. That's junior high, okay? So I got into junior high, and I, was, and I began to question, man, who am I? What do I believe? Am I like dad? Am I like mom? I'm not, I'm not really sure. Do I want to go down this path that's been set before me? Or do I want to go down this other path that's been set before me? Who do I believe? Who do I trust in? What are my convictions? And I begin to have all these things stir up in a really deep way when I was in the seventh grade, when I was in the eighth grade. And it really began to freak me out. And I began to question my faith. I began to question my beliefs. I began to question my upbringing. And for about a year in eighth grade, um, I made the decision to stop going to church. Just press pause on that. Uh, I made the decision to stop reading the Bible. I pressed pause on that. Um, I'd had a relationship with Jesus before that. I, I was a, a person that would worship and that would pray and that would seek the Lord. But just for a year, I kind of pressed pause on that. And I, and I took about a year just to, to struggle and to wrestle and to try to figure it out. I spent a lot of time online on blogs, reading everyone's opinion about everything. And I researched Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and Christianity and atheism and agnosticism and just about everything that you could research. I was up at night. I was also playing video games, but I was up at late into the night playing video games. And then sometimes I was on the internet. I was on these blogs. I was on these websites and I was searching. I really wanted to figure out what was true and what was real. And I had people around me that were questioning and that were pressing back on my faith and that were driving me to ask these questions. I had friends that didn't believe. I went to public school. So there were people who were asking really hard questions that I didn't have answers for at that time. And I remember feeling super confused. Now what's helpful about this year is that my mom 
is an intercessor. So while I was struggling through this whole year and wrestling and not really knowing which way I was going to go, my mom was doing this in secret. My mom was meeting up with a friend, and they were getting together weekly or biweekly, something like that, to, to worship and to pray and to fast. But they were getting down on their knees, and they were interceding for me the entire year. And they're saying, you know, Corey's out there, and he's struggling. He's asking all these big questions. I don't really know how to talk to him. He doesn't really seem like he wants to listen, right? If you have a kid that's not listening right now, I was the kid who doesn't listen. So you'll be okay. You'll get him. Especially if you're a praying mom. They're done for, right? So my mom is interceding for me. My mom is after me. She's like, man, Lord, get him. Now, we, we came from a, a very small, very conservative church down in Huber Heights. So my mom was praying, Lord, get him. But I don't think she exactly knew what that meant. Because he was about to get me good, and she's got more than she asked for. So, right? But she was praying, Lord, get him. I don't think she knew that it was going to get wild, and I was just going to turn into this wild man afterwards. But my mom's praying for me all year long. Get him. Get him. Get him. The other thing that she was praying is she was praying that I wouldn't fall into sin. And that I wouldn't make decisions that I would regret for the rest of my life. This is so crazy. I'm just letting you in my, are you guys okay if I tell you my story today? So crazy. My eighth grade year, I remember trying to be bad. And my mom was like this intercessory ninja that every time I tried to do something, was like, slap that out of, like, I would go to a party. And at that party, I would say, I will drink at this party. By the end of this party, I will be drunk. At the end of this party, I will be in this condition. I would go to that party fully set on evil and sin. And by the end of that party, I was entirely sober and at home playing video games and reading about Islam. But I wouldn't do it. And I would walk out and I would say like, what happened? Like, just things would twist around and I didn't end up making some of those decisions. I didn't know my mom was getting me in the spirit. She was interceding. Every time she was like, you want to drink this? My mom was like, slap that out of his hand. You are not going to drink. So my mom is praying for me epic mom like great job mom okay so my mom is praying for me i actually ended up not making a lot of those decisions had opportunities to drink i didn't i had opportunity to do drugs i didn't had all kinds of opportunities with my my eighth grade girlfriend didn't take you know the vast majority of them and i'm so thankful and it's because my mom was totally blocking me so if you have a mom who's right now you're like i'm trying to sin i can't it's probably because your mom's praying so right so my mom is just blocking me blocking me blocking me lord get him so here's what happens one day I go on a date with my eighth grade girlfriend. Super lame. All eighth grade dates are lame. There's no way for them to be cool because you look awkward, you feel awkward, and you don't have your driver's license. So that means that your parents are going to drop you off at the date, which makes you look lame. And then they also are going to pick you up at the end of the date, which makes you look double lame. So that's why you shouldn't date in junior high because you look stupid the entire time that you do it, right? So I'm looking stupid, going on a date with my eighth grade girlfriend. Um, we get out of the theater, we finish the movie, and her parents arrive on time. They pick her up, she goes home. Our parents are not fond of arriving on time, so they came like 50 minutes later. Again, we had a bunch of kids in our house, so I don't even know if they remembered me that night. I probably got forgotten for 45 minutes, and they were like, where's the fifth one? And then they, oh, he's on his eighth grade date looking stupid, right? So they came to get me, but in that 45 minutes, she goes home, and I'm just stuck standing outside of the movie theater, okay? And while I'm standing outside of the movie theater, I look over, and I notice that there's a group of young adults, and one of them is playing a guitar. 
okay? And I'm curious, and so I walk over, and I see that they're, they're worshiping. So there's two, three, four of them that are in like a little circle. I want to say that there was probably a djembe as well. So they're rocking the guitar. They're rocking the djembe. They're worshiping. There's a crowd that has gathered around them, a small crowd outside the movie theater. And most of them are observing them. Some of them are worshiping with them. Uh, some of them are criticizing them, right? They're kind of standing there talking like, what are these guys doing? So they were doing that. And then there was probably five to ten of them that were just moving through the crowd and they were just starting conversations with people and they were telling them about Jesus and so I ended up getting in a conversation with one of these young adults again I don't remember his name I actually can't even remember what his face looks like I never had another moment with this individual I, I could never say thank you but I ended up talking for probably 30 to 45 minutes with this person I was not really interested in hearing what they had to say I was more interested in getting into a debate. So I was bringing up every argument that I had recently read on the internet. Have you guys ever tried to share the gospel and this is what happens, right? I, we, we, we evangelized to Muslims for six years straight. You have never argued with someone until you have argued with an Arab. They are amazing. They are the best arguers on the entire planet. No other culture can compete with their ability to argue, okay? Like, they, they are astounding. They will go for hours and hours and hours and hours in debate, okay? So I, I was getting ready for my future as a missionary to Arabs. And I went to them, and I was bringing them all my questions and all of my doubts. And I was, at, you know, and I was, I was there to debate them. And what's crazy, they were brilliant, is instead of getting lost and all of the academia and intellectualism and all the things I had around on the internet, they just told me story after story after story of encounters that they had had with Jesus. Yeah, that's a really good question about Hinduism. But one time we were worshiping and praying, and then we laid hands on our friend, and then they got healed. So I don't know it all, but I'm pretty sure Jesus is real, Right? And they just began telling me, they just began diffusing all of those kind of intellectual bombs that were on the inside of me that were keeping me from Jesus. And they just told me story after story, testimony after testimony, miracle after miracle. And here's the thing. I wasn't super impressed, actually, with the details of their story. I didn't even believe in their miracles. Like, I was like, yeah, that totally didn't happen. I was a skeptic at that time. I didn't believe in that stuff. But here's what struck me. I didn't believe their stories. But I actually did, by the end of the conversation, believe that they knew Jesus. It's like when the disciples went before the ruling body in Jerusalem, and they said, these men must have been with Jesus. Like, they didn't believe them, but they at least knew that there was something so strange and different about them that they had to have been in the presence of Jesus. And that's what I knew, that these young adults were different and the way that they were different unnerved me. It made me feel weird on the inside because I couldn't explain it. I couldn't put my finger on why they were so, so, so different. And I went home, again, not believing their stories and not believing their testimonies and doubting everything that they had said, but I was unraveled on the inside. And I remember walking up my staircase and saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't even know if you're real anymore. But if you are, I whispered this out loud, I want to know you like they know you. 
I don't even know if you're real anymore. But if you are, I want to know you like they know you. And I got to the top of the staircase. I turned to go into my room. I shut the door, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. A couple of things happened immediately. The first thing is that I began to feel this crushing weight come upon my body. And it was so heavy that I fell down to my knees. I, I, I couldn't get up. I fell to my knees. My face hit the floor, and I was, I was down. And I just felt this heaviness remain on me. The next thing that happened is I began to feel heat rush up and down my body. I began to feel, it felt like being on fire. Didn't hurt, but it was uncomfortable. I felt this heat that was rushing up and down my body. I instantly began sweating. I'm sweating from head to toe. I sweat through my shirt. I, everything I was we wearing was wet in like three to four minutes because I felt this intense heat come upon my body. The third thing that happened is I began to feel this power that was coursing through me. I don't know how to explain it. Felt like lightning was jolting from head to toe. And I, and I began to tremble. And I'm down. And uh, I had no clue what was happening. All right? I told you I came from a very small, very conservative church that never gave me any understanding that this kind of thing could happen with God. So I thought that I was having a, like a medical condition. And then I'm like, I'm having a heart attack. 14 years old, and here I am having a heart attack. Great. Awesome, right? So I'm on the ground, sweating. I'm shaking. I feel this weight. And all of a sudden, and I was a tough kid, especially at that time. Never cried. Wasn't, wasn't emotional. I was pretty shut down at that point. And I just begin to sob. My heart, like a dam, just broke open. And I'm on the floor, weeping, probably feeling self-conscious about weeping because my parents and my siblings are down the hall I'm like, oh my gosh, if they hear me in my room on the ground crying, like, what are they going to think? You know what I mean? Corey has lost it. And I crawl over my bed. I'm trying to like, have you ever cried and tried not to cry, but then you just cry harder? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So you're kind of like starting to cry. You're like, <laughs> and then you try to hold it in. And then you're like, <laughs> like, it just starts. Do you guys know? So when I got married, that's what I was like. I, people have pictures of me on my wedding day. I look like a fool right? Because my wife was coming down the aisle, and I was crying so hard, and I was trying not to be the guy who's like, but she was coming down the aisle, and I was like, <laughs> like, and everyone was like, you look so dumb, but so precious also, and I was like, that's exactly right. All my guy friends made fun of me, and all the girls were like, oh, right? But when she came down the aisle, I was so wrecked. I just, I was just crying and crying and crying, and um, anyways, that's a, that's a random embarrassing story from my life. So, I'm doing that, right? I'm like choke crying. I'm, I, I scoop my way over to my bed. I put my face down. And all of a sudden, and I didn't know this phrase back then, but I got hit with the fear of the Lord. The only way that I could explain it is that the conviction of God came upon my life for every area of compromise and sin that was hidden in my heart. I'm shaking and I'm crying, and I'm sweating, I'm a big mess, and all of a sudden I about to, I feel, for the very first time, I didn't know this beforehand, but I understood in that moment through revelation that my choices had actually broken the heart of God. 
So I thought that I was just being a jerk to my parents, and I thought that I was being a jerk to my siblings, and I thought that I was being a jerk to my girlfriend. I could have told you that, but I didn't know that my bad choices actually were affecting and impacting the heart of an infinite God. But in that moment, when he came into my room and met me, I began to feel it for the first time. I'm breaking your heart. My sin and my choices are actually doing something to your heart. It's personal. It's not just that you're this distant judge who's calculating all of my bad choices and you're going to get me in the end. You're a father that I have actually personally broken your heart as a rebellious son. I have spit in your holy face through my compromise and you actually feel it and you care about it. And it overwhelmed me, the conviction of my sin. And I began to confess. And I began to tell him, Lord, I have done this, and I have done this, and I have done this, and I have done this. Please forgive me. Like I said, my mom got me. She didn't know what she was praying for. Get him, Lord. He got me. Down on my knees, weeping before the Lord, repenting. And as I repented, the fear of the Lord began to lift off of me like a wave that draws back. And all of a sudden, I felt the love of the Lord rush in. I felt that he had forgiven me for my sins, right? It's like John Wesley said, my heart was strangely warmed. I felt that the love of God warmed my heart, tenderized my heart. I knew that he had forgiven me. It was the first time in my life where I heard God whisper to me. He said a couple things. He said, Corey, I love you. Those are the three most powerful words in the universe, especially when you hear them from God. I could stand up here for the next 60 minutes and say, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, and it wouldn't move you. But when you hear God say to you, to your heart, I love you, there is something that changes on the inside. God loved me, Corey, broken, insecure, eighth grade, acting like a fool, disrespecting my parents, doing whatever I wanted. God loved me. And I knew it for the very first time. He said to me, I haven't given up on you. Because I felt that if you grew up in church, especially a really strict church, when you goof up, when you struggle, when you wander, when you start making bad decisions, you can feel like it's game over with God. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You can feel so full of guilt and so full of shame and so stupid for everything that you've done that you can come to the conclusion that God has given up on me. Yeah, he loves the world. And I'm sure he's gonna do lots of great things for other people in the world, but me, I'm too far gone. So for him to tell me, I love you, and I haven't given up on you. Told me that he still had plans for me. I've got a future for you that's so different than the way that you're living right now. If you'll take me by the hand, I'll drag you out of where you are right now and I'll get you to where I'm trying to take you. Right? I love you. I haven't given up on you. I've got plans for you. Told me two other things. Told me that he wanted to go back and, it's a longer story, but to repent for what I had done. I actually had to reconcile with my parents. I had to reconcile with my church. I needed to go back to my youth group. When I got done with this encounter, I went, I wrote letters of apology. 
right, to different people in my life, I am so sorry for acting crazy. The Lord took me and he grabbed me and he pulled me. He said, I want you to be a missionary is one of the things he told me. From that day forward, that started my journey to where I am now and to what I'm doing. So here's what I want to say. There's power in testimony. God grabbed my life and he whipped me in a different direction. And he took me to where I want to go. Here's why I'm taking so long on this today. And whoever's in the band, you can come up. You say, Corey, that's a long story. Well, it's my story and I really like it. So I'm going to tell you for a long time. <laughs> okay? But here's the other thing that I want you to know. Right? If you have not been transformed by the gospel, there is no chance that I can motivate you to go out and share the gospel. Do you want to know why I got on a plane at 22 years old and flew to Morocco and went to a place where I could have been murdered for sharing the gospel? Everyone in my life saying, what are you doing? Why would you get on a plane? Why would you move there? Why would you become a missionary? You had an amazing ACT score. You had a full ride scholarship. You were on this and that list of success. You could have moved into any career. You fool. Why would you get on a plane and move to the nations and share the gospel with Arabs who like to argue for hours and hours and hours about Islam? Why would you want to spend your life doing that? You could make bank. You could live on the outskirts of Tip City, Ohio in a big old house just like all the people you grew up with. You could do, that's what you could do with your life. Why would you get on a plane and fly to the other side of the world and share the gospel with people? Do you want to know why I did that? Because he met me when I was in the eighth grade in my bedroom and he wrecked me and he transformed me. And from that day onward, I had the conviction that the gospel is the most powerful thing in the universe and that it has to be shared with everyone everywhere. Stand up with me. Here's the deal. You can't be manipulated into sharing the gospel. I have been in too many sermons where the evangelist gets up and just cracks the whip for an hour. You're a bad Christian if you don't share the gospel. Right? People are going to hell every minute because you didn't share the gospel. I have never seen guilt really compel someone to share the gospel. I have never seen shame really compel people to share the gospel. I have never seen controlling leaders or manipulative leaders really put the fire of evangelism inside of their community. I want you to share the gospel. I want to inspire you to share the gospel. I want to provoke you to share the gospel. I want you to go out these doors and I want you to tell your story and your testimony to other people. I want you to invite your friends to church. Maybe you're saying, I don't know how to share the gospel very well. Okay, well, we have some people who get on the stage who know how to do it. So if you feel a little nervous, why don't you just bring them with you and then we'll share the gospel with them. I want you to do that but I know that I can't twist your arm. And you don't like getting your arm twist anyways. Can we agree on that? Raise your hand if you don't like being manipulated. 
Awesome, me neither. Cool. So I'm not going to twist your arm to try to get you to share the gospel. But here's what I'm going to tell you today. Two stories. The gospel transformed my mom. And the gospel transformed me. And I bet that most of you are in this room because at some point you opened the package and the nuclear bomb of the gospel went off on your life and you're being changed and you're being transformed and you're being renewed. Just pause for a moment. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to remember when you receive the gospel. And if statistics are true, the vast majority of you receive the gospel because someone, a person, gave it to you. I'm not diminishing tracks. I'm not diminishing media. I'm not diminishing any of those evangelistic techniques. But statistically, the vast majority of people receive the gospel because someone that they personally know and trust took the time to give them the gospel. The main reason that people get introduced to Jesus for the very first time is because someone in their life cared enough to introduce them to Jesus for the first time. That's how it happens. That's how the kingdom expands. That's how the church grows. We do it, we share the gospel. I want you to remember your story this morning. I want you to remember your testimony. I want you to remember where you came from. And here's what I want to do. This is a little bit strange, but we're going to do it today. If you're willing to share that story with another person, I want you to take off your shoes. And I want you to hold them above your head. Again, this is a strange thing to do. But we're in a series called Go. says in the scriptures, blessed are the feet of those that bring good news. Blessed are the feet of those that bring good news. Blessed are the feet of those that share the gospel. In the armor of God, Ephesians 6, it says that the sandals are a readiness to preach the gospel, which brings others peace. The spiritual shoes that we wear are a readiness to preach the gospel so that others can have peace with God. I want you to have a moment with the Lord right now. I'm going to pray for you, but with these held high, I want you to actually have a transaction with God. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm holding these above my head because I am willing to preach the gospel. Give me grace to preach the gospel. Begin to pray right now. As you hold those shoes above your head, if you're making this commitment, actually tell him, Lord, I am willing 
to share the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not too afraid to share the gospel. I am not too shy to share the gospel. I am not too insecure to share the gospel. I will not be silent in the face of a world that desperately needs the gospel. I will share the gospel with my family. I will share the gospel with my friends. I will share the gospel with my coworkers. I will share the gospel in my neighborhood. I will share the gospel. I will do it. I will be your voice. Give me grace to share the gospel. Give me grace to share the gospel. So it's as simple as this. The reason why I didn't want to make today complicated, no notes, because if I preach the gospel to you from notes, you would have to think that you needed fancy notes to preach the gospel. If I preach the gospel to you with big fancy words, you would think that you need big fancy words to share the gospel. Once upon a time, my mom's life kind of sucked. And then she met Jesus. And because he died and was buried and rose again, her entire life was able to be transformed. Simple gospel. Good enough. Good enough. When I was in the eighth grade feeling as insecure as you can feel and as broken as you can feel, God showed up in my bedroom and he flipped it all around. Good enough. And you have a story. One sentence, two sentences, one paragraph, two paragraphs. Or maybe it's sitting across someone at a dinner table or at a coffee shop. And you say, hey, I want to tell you my story. Give me a couple minutes. I just want to tell you what happened in my life. And that right there actually has the power to save a soul. And to change a destiny. And to set someone on a completely different path. The simple gospel is the power of salvation for those who choose to believe. Amen. All right, so Lord, I ask right now that as my friends leave, that you would give them the strength and the courage to preach the gospel, both here and in the far-flung places of the world where nobody has heard your name before. From our neighbors to the nations, we commit to preach the gospel. From our neighbors to the nations, Lord, we commit to be a people that preach the gospel. And Lord, I'm asking in this next season, God, that we would see a mighty flood of salvations. Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would begin to plunder Tip City. Just pray with me for one second. Come on, church. Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would bind the strong man and that you would plunder Tip City. Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would plunder Tip City High School. Lord, I'm asking that you would plunder the Tip City School District, God. That all around this church, God, that people would begin to get saved everywhere. I'm asking that you would begin to plunder the businesses in our city, God. That the gospel would begin to spread like wildfire. And that men and women would fall on their knees at the feet of Jesus, surrendering their lives. Lord, I'm asking that you would break into every sphere of society right here, God, around us. Break in with the transforming power of the gospel. Let it spread, God, we ask in this coming season.
name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you guys. Have a great day.